morning. Glad you're here with us today. We're starting a new message series. We're going to look at the source of all good, how God wants to wants us to work with him to grow toward maturity. I, I like self-improvement programs naturally. I mean, I'm drawn to them. Last night we were watching college softball and they advertised these push-up deals to help you do push-ups anatomically correct. And they showed a picture of a guy that was just cut. They said, if you want to look like this, then you need to buy these these devices that... It's great because you, they turn your hands like this as you do the push-ups, so it doesn't hurt your wrists. At my age, I quit doing push-ups because it hurt my wrists too much to do them. So I thought, hey, I I don't care if I look like that, but, you know, I could use a little work. So they, they almost got me. <laughs> Wouldn't be a bad deal. When we, when we struggle, struggle and falter in an area, we, we tend to put more effort into getting it right. That's, that's our nature. That's what we tend to do. We see self-effort as the path to getting things straightened out. Romance, parenting, work, time use, whatever it is. We can get the right book, go to the right seminar, Try harder next time. Maybe maybe we can change. We we can do better. I remember when I was first married, my wife and I are very different people. First of all, she's a woman. I'm a man. That starts things off, you know, as a challenge. Uh, but we are we are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And I remember in the first few months of my marriage, thinking, "Wow, I I just really need some help here." And so I'd I'd hear somebody talk about what scripture says about it. I'd intend to go back and treat her the way I knew God wanted me to, cherish her, love her, and end up doing the same old stuff. I think, what is going on here? I can't get past this. I go to a seminar and I'd hear some principles. I say, that's me. I'm I'm blowing it right there. I can do better. I'd you know I'd go back the day after the seminar if I was fortunate, I'd get through the afternoon without having messed up again. But then there I am. I kept running into me. Same old me. Great seminar, really good principles that I needed to know. But I kept, I kept running into me. Same with time use. I don't know about you, but my life gets chaotic. And I have things that God's put on my plate, things I need to accomplish. And I, I get frustrated sometimes that, at, the way times just gets away from me. So I remember going to one seminar, very helpful, good principles, needed to hear them. But they encourage you to plan your week. So you, you put your week, you say, during this block of time, this four or five hour block of time, I'm going to focus on this. During this block of time, I'm going to work on this. And so you spell it all out at the beginning of the week. Went home from that seminar, got all fired up, Monday morning, planned my week. By Tuesday afternoon, it was shot to bits. I, I, here I am again. What's going on? After about the third week of that, I was pretty motivated the first week. I kept battling, kept fighting. going to get this. I'm going to get my time under control. By the third week, I didn't want to see the boxes anymore. I, I didn't really. I wanted to live outside the box. Because what I found as I try to do life... I keep running into me. Wherever I go, there I am. And I keep having to deal with what's going on inside of me. I need to know those principles. They're very helpful. But when I go to put them into practice, 
It's the same old me that I have to deal with. In this series of messages, what we're going to be looking at is God's improvement program. It's not, it has nothing to do with self-improvement, but it's God's improvement program. How he works in us and with us, if we'll cooperate with him, to change us for the better. We're going to dig into a passage in Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 13 through 26, that spells out God's improvement program. We're going to dig in. The backdrop of that passage is that there were some guys, this, this was written to this church in Galatia by Paul, and God had him write it to show us these things. But what was going on is there were some guys who were coming in to the church, and they were teaching a different gospel than the one that they, the, the pure gospel that, that Jesus taught. So what they were saying is that grace is not enough for salvation that you need to add things to it. So it, 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 the, the truth in Scripture is, you find it in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works lest any man should boast. You are saved by grace. We need to be saved, Scripture says, from ourselves, basically. But what that means is, to be saved means that you are going your own way, rebelling against God. We all chose to do this. First man and woman did, and then we put our stamp of approval on it. We're all going our own way, and that has cut us off from knowing God. We aren't connected to God in our natural state. To be saved means that Jesus Christ paid the price for our rebellion. And so now we can turn around from going our own way, go God's way, and have a relationship with him. We can connect with God and begin to live life in a different context and with a different power because of what God's done. What these guys were doing to the Galatians were, they were coming in and saying, grace isn't enough. You've got to add to grace this and this and this and this. You have to do some things to earn God's favor. And in a way, that makes sense to us. We want to do that. We want to go through the hoops and the legal red tape to make ourselves feel better about who we are before God. But the fact of the matter is, grace is it. We only need the grace of God, and we can have a relationship with Him. But when we, when we realize the truth that Scripture teaches, that grace is all it takes, that God has already done everything we need for our salvation, you don't have to earn your way to heaven. There is no stairway that you have to walk up. God has paid the price and given you a relationship with Him, and He wants you to live on through eternity with Him if you'll choose to, to follow Him. When we find out that there's nothing else we need to do other than to accept what He's done for us, it's hard to believe. We think that, that just, it just can't be that easy. It's just too good to be true. There's something in our hearts that makes more sense to earn it and to worry about That is the truth. That's what the, te- the, the Scripture teaches. That it's just recognizing your, your rebellion, turning around and accepting what He's done is all it takes. And then He pours His grace into your heart and life. Hard to believe, but it's true. 
When you really understand the grace of God, and here's, here's where we're going to launch into this passage. When you really understand the grace of God, freedom abuse is easy because you realize you're free from the law. I mean, our nature is to do things, to try to make God happy, to make up for our, the, our sin and the ways that we've blown it. We're going to do all this stuff to try to make him happy. But then you find out it's already done. I don't have to do anything else. It's already done. And you're in danger at that point. That's what Paul's saying here in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, great, I don't have to try to be good anymore. I'm free. I can just dive in and be selfish. Do what I want. But through love, serve one another. When you understand the gospel and the grace of God, you're in danger of abusing it. When, you really, when it really sinks in, there's this danger. I'm forgiven and free. I don't have to pay anymore for my sin. I don't have to beat myself up to try to make up for the wrong I've done. Or I don't have to do things to make up for it. Jesus has already done it. I don't have to earn it. It's a free gift. This freedom becomes a threat. Now, something you and I need to know, and especially if you're a new Christian, a new believer, you need to know this. And if you're an old one, you need to be reminded of it. When you set yourself to follow Christ, you gain some enemies. You gain three particular enemies. The flesh is one of them. When you set yourself to follow Christ, you, you gain these enemies that are trying to keep you from growing to maturity in Christ and thwart God's purpose in your life. He's trying to, they're trying to stop the purpose, and they work in concert with each other. The one enemy that we're looking at today is called the flesh in this passage and in the New Testament. It's referred to as the flesh, which is the desire to sin that remains in us after we come to know Christ. That's what the flesh is. It's this desire to keep doing life my way. It's what I was experiencing. Boy, I, there's, I want to do right. I want to do good. I want to cherish my wife. But when I set out to do it, there's me. There's my flesh that's keeping me from really loving and serving her. It's at least battling. As I, it seems like it should be a lot easier than that to do right. But it is a battle. Before you come to Christ... The flesh is in your heart, this flesh, this desire to do life your own way. That's, that's really a good description of sin, what it means to, to, to sin. From the day you're born, it shows up later on when you can start talking and acting. It shows up pretty early on in the way that you live. After you come to Christ, the flesh remains. It stays there. But what happens is... He puts the Holy Spirit in your heart as well. So you have the Holy Spirit in your heart and you have the flesh. God's Spirit takes residence in you. After you come to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart who connects you to God. All the resources of God like an umbilical cord. 
So it's interesting. What Scripture says is you commit your life to Christ, you come to know him, you turn from going your own way, go God's way, and you have eternal life. But it, what happens actually is that eternal life begins to invade your present life. And now you have all the resources of eternity at your, at your disposal to deal with life as it is. The Holy Spirit connects you to God's resources like an umbilical cord. He is the source of all good. And he gives you what you need to overcome the flesh and obey God. Now, the New Testament says that there are two kinds of Christians. Basically two kinds. You, you can check this out further in 1 Corinthians 2, 14-3-3. I'm not going to read those. But this explains a lot to me. I hope it helps you. Sometimes I think, if you're a Christian, then why don't you act like one? I say this to myself, and I I think it about other people. Well, what's your problem? I mean, if you're a Christian, why can't you go to the marriage seminar and pull it off? What's your deal? Why can't you use your time wisely? Why do you always want to live out of the box? Maybe the boxes, and, and I'm not really into boxes, by the way. I'm not saying we need to live in the box. There's life outside the box. But, <laughs> but still, there, is, there are some boxes you should stay in. <laughs> and our flesh wants to get outside of those. But why is that? Maybe you haven't yet come to Christ, and you're wondering, why, why, Christian, why do some Christians just seem like everybody else? There's no difference at all in the way they treat people, in the way they handle life, the way they relate to to projects and things they're just the same well here's why it is some christians are spiritual and others are fleshly and really it's not so cut cut and dry some are being spiritual and others are being fleshly you you take a 24-hour period and you can step in and out of those two realms in the scripture the picture is that there's a realm of the flesh and there's a realm of the spirit And we can flip the switch as to which realm we're going to walk in. Where are we going to be living? Where are we going to go to for the help that we need? First of all, the spiritual man, the spiritual Christian, lives in the realm of God's Spirit and draws on His resources. You're going through life, you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling at work, you're You're frustrated that you can't use your time better than you do. You're trying to change, and you hit the wall. You run out of energy. You're going to go somewhere. You're going to draw on some resources. It's like going to a well. The spiritual man continues to draw on the resources that God's provided. The spiritual man goes to God and draws on those resources. And in the realm of the Holy Spirit, the realm of the Spirit, there is motivation to do right. See, when you come to Christ, what God does is he puts the Holy Spirit in you and he motivates you to do the law. You don't have to do it any longer, but he's going to be motivating you in that direction to love, to kindness, to patience, to peace, to self-control. The right things grow in your heart in the realm of the Spirit. And you have power to please God and fulfill his purpose for your life. This well has streams of living water that are flowing out of it. That's what Jesus promised. He said, you come to me, you walk with me, 
Turn from going your own way. Walk with me and I will give you, there will be streams of living water that flow from within you. I've experienced this over and over and over again. I hit the wall. I'm frustrated. I'm struggling. I turn to God. I go to that well. And he uses something to help me keep going. He gives me what I need to keep going. And it wells up inside me and I go. And I do what's right. Because of him. Because all the good is in him. He is the source of all good. We'll look at this more later, but the Spirit's resources for growth are prayer, God's Word, fellowship with Christians, and ministry. You draw on these resources by letting Him shape you as you fill yourself with these things, as you pray, as you get into the Scriptures, as you fellowship with other believers, as you do ministry. You draw on the Spirit's resources by letting Him shape you through those. You fill your life with those things because it's sort of like eating your Wheaties makes you stronger in the spirit. The other kind of Christian is fleshly. They live in the realm of the flesh and they draw on its resources. Water from this well is contaminated. There's this strong pull in us that remains after we come to Christ that pulls us to live on our own power, to rely on ourselves, to do things the way we've always done them. It makes sense to us. They're familiar. It's like changing your clothes. You know, you, you got some slippers that you really like. You don't want new slippers. I like my old slippers. They're familiar. They, they, they form fit to my feet. So there's this pull in us that draws us back to our old ways. And we struggle in, in things, in relationships and in handling life. We want to fall back into manipulation, jealousy, anger, lying, complaining, arguing. We struggle with this pull to be fleshly. This is not from faith. We're trusting again in our old way. And the flesh shows up when you try to follow Christ. We can even try to follow the Lord in a fleshly way. We 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 can pray. We can read Scripture. We can fellowship in a, with other believers, and we can do ministry in the flesh. There is no power when you're doing it in the flesh, when you're doing these things. This passage shows us how to identify which realm we're in. Those are the two realms, the realm of the spirit, the realm of the flesh. Relationships are a key indicator of which realm you're in. How are you treating the people God has put around you? The Spirit will motivate you toward consideration. Galatians 5, 13, 14 says, For you are called to freedom. We read this earlier, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We we are not bound to the law. In other words, we don't have to do the law in order to earn God's favor. But what he did was he put his spirit in us that's going to motivate us to please him, to do the law, to fulfill it. He promised to do this in Ezekiel. A key indicator of a person who is drawing resources from the, the spiritual realm, from the spirit, 
and that being a spiritual person is that they are loving others and fulfilling the core of what God's law is all about. On the other hand, the flesh will cause you to consume. I'd like to show you a clip. It's a series of clips from the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. He, he wrote this uh, series of books to illustrate some very important principles that you find in Scripture. And here's one that's going to show us how the flesh affects us and ends up hurting the people around us. What is your name, son of Adam? Uh, Edmund. And how, Edmund, did you come to enter my dominion? I'm not sure. I, I was just following my sister. Your sister? How many are you? Four. Lucy's the only one that's been here before. She said she met some fawn called Tumnus. Petrus isn't in believe her. I didn't either. Edmund, you look so cold. Have us something hot to drink. Yes, please. Your Majesty. That's right. How did you do that? I can make anything you like. Can you make me taller? <laughs> anything you'd like to eat. Turkish delight? of my own. And you are exactly the sort of boy who I could see one day becoming Prince of Narnia. Maybe even King. Really? Of course, you'd have to bring a family. Oh, do you mean Peter would be King too? No. No, no. But a king needs servants. Like it? Uh, yes. Your Majesty. I thought you might. Oh! Dare you come along? I tried. Edmund, I asked so little of you. They, they just don't listen to me. I couldn't even do that. Oh, I did bring them halfway. There is a little house at the dam with the beavers. I, I was wondering. Could I maybe. That small Turkish delight now? This way for your numbers. Is your sister all right? I don't know. Where do they go? I don't know. Then you're of no further use to me. Wait! The beaver said something about Aslan! 
Do you know why you're here, Fawn? You're here because he turned you in for sweeties. children's story, but there's a lot really we can get out of that. The witch represented another enemy, Satan, the devil, who knows how to draw the flesh out of him. I want Turkish delight. I don't care if it hurts my brother and sisters. I'm going to go for my Turkish delight. And did you notice how she played into the, the, his desire to be important, to have status, to be the king? The enemies work together. But anyway, you see how his selfish desire, the flesh, his desire to sin, to live for yourself, brought a lot of damage to his brother and sisters, caused a lot of trouble. That's how it goes. We set out to follow God. We set out to live for him. Somebody doesn't do what they want, and we let them have it. We, they, they don't do what we want them to do, or they're, they're not cooperating. In fact, maybe they're just blocking a goal. We just want to do this today. And they're in our way, and we let them have it. We chew them up and spit them out. Listen to Galatians 5, 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. To bite means literally to hurt each other with your mouth. To rend with reproaches. You're pouring out reproaches, disapproval. You're pouring out disapproval. To devour means to tear to pieces and eat them up. When you approach others in the flesh, you're in danger of consuming them, ruining the relationship, destroying it. Verse 16 shows us how to overcome the flesh and the damage it does. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. See, after you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit's in your heart, the flesh remains until the day you die, and now you have a choice. You still have to choose. So some Christians are fleshly. They keep choosing the flesh. Some are spiritual. They keep choosing the spirit. Others are being fleshly or being spiritual. But the Holy Spirit is in our heart. Now we can choose to cooperate with God. The one that grows strong in us is, and the one that dominates our life is the one we feed. So the one, if we make ourselves available to the resources of the Holy Spirit through prayer, getting into the Scriptures, being around other Christians, doing ministry, he has the, we're, we're making ourselves available to the resources that God himself can use to begin to change us. How are your relationships this week? Are they characterized by consideration? Be grateful to God if they are. He's the source of all good. Has there been some biting and devouring? Are they characterized by consumption? If they're characterized by consumption, here's something important that you need to be able to do. If you find yourself in the realm of the flesh, there's a way to flip the switch and get back into the realm of the spirit. First of all, confess sin. Now, for me... I have a hard time convincing myself that I've sinned. You know, anybody would have bit him if he said that to them. 
That makes sense. Sure, I can devour them. That was right. That was okay. So usually when I'm in the flesh, I, I have to, it takes, takes a while to sort it out, to think through what I've done that displeases God. But what you need to do is confess it, which means agree with God that it's wrong. That's what it means to confess sin. You just agree with God. Call it what it is. God, I was angry because I was jealous or envious of them. Will you forgive me? I confess it before you, and he has forgiven you. Confess sin, receive his forgiveness is the second thing. You don't have to beat yourself up. Jesus has already paid the price. Self-righteousness is incredibly counterproductive if you're trying to change. Because what you're saying is, I'm too good for this. I'm disappointed in myself. The fact of the matter is, you just did it. You aren't too good for it. Just get over it. Get past it. Move on. Quit beating yourself up. It's counterproductive. God doesn't want you to beat yourself up. He took the pain on himself so that you don't have to. His grace is enough. We can receive his forgiveness for what we've done. And then ask him to fill you and control you again. This should be like breathing. Every day as we go along, we find ourselves in the flesh. Oh, God. I've done it again. Will you forgive me? I confess this to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Will you fill me and control me again? Over time, as you do this, as you, as you find yourself in the flesh, get back in the realm of the Spirit, make yourself available to the resources of the Holy Spirit, over time, God changes you. He, he makes you different because He put His Spirit in you to make you want to do right. He put his spirit in you. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And he put this, his spirit there to help you love others and fulfill his law, to motivate you to do the right things. And as you go through this process of finding yourself in the flesh, confessing sin, receiving forgiveness, asking him to fill you again, over time he begins to change you and you like what it's with what goes on in the realm of the Spirit. The right things grow in me. The wrong things look, look like what they are. They're ugly. They're contaminated. They're polluted. And the right things look right and good. And I want to do that. And it's this process that God uses to change us over time as we follow Him. God's Spirit is the source of all good in us. And we must learn to tap into that source. Jesus said it. He said, we'll have streams of living water flowing within us. If we're going to live the good life and do the good we want to do, we've got to rely on him to do it and make ourselves available to his resources. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band comes up. Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in Scripture that sets us free. I am so grateful for your grace, for your mercy and your kindness. And Father, I, as we've probably identified things, maybe times this week we've been in the flesh, help us to confess those things, experience your forgiveness, move forward asking you to fill us and control us again. Give us 
even the help to yield to you and cooperate with you in this process so that you can change us, God. Thank you again for your goodness and your grace. We ask for your help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. We were really glad that you were here to worship with us this morning. If during uh, Rainey's message you were just thinking to yourself you'd really like to get some help on how to experience that spiritual well that, that Randy was talking about, or if you just want help in how to make your relationships better, we'd, we'd love to know how we can pray for you or serve you in any way. Um, there's a blue card that's in your listening guide. If you could uh, fill that out, and on the back there's a portion where you could communicate with us. We'd love to, uh, to help you, help you grow uh, in your relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Um, the announcement I wanted to make was regarding the softball tournament. Uh, our third annual softball tournament is this afternoon from 1 o'clock to 6. And there's a, um, a little cream piece of paper in your listening guides. That's the directions to uh, the softball field where we'll be playing. If you're thinking, oh, man, I didn't sign up, it's not too late. Okay, So you could still sign up in the back. Um, if you want to play, uh, it's $12, and that includes a barbecue dinner, which will be at 6 o'clock at night. So softball's from 1 to uh, 6, and then... The dinner's from 6 to 7. Um, if you just want to eat and watch and just hang out, uh, it's just $5. And you could just sign up back there. Um, we'd love to have you and uh, enjoy the time together. Let's continue in worship. God with our offering at this time. <laughs> 